0: Good to see you all. Welcome to Women in the Word. My name is Amy Foster. It's a delight to be with you every week. I'm glad you're here. Okay, I want you all to feel no pressure, but I want you to be honest with this question. I want you to raise your hand if you've ever, ever, ever been afraid in the dark. It's all of us, isn't it? Okay, it is the number one most common fear in the whole world. And here's what's really interesting about it. Most people who develop fears and phobias, it's because something bad happens, and then afterwards they're afraid of that thing. But fear of the dark is innate. That's why we see it in children. Nothing bad has happened, and yet they're afraid in the dark. And so when you really consider it, it's not darkness that we're afraid of, right? What are we afraid of? what's there? It's we're afraid of what we can't see. We're afraid of what's hidden in the darkness because we can't see what's there. And that really is a reasonable fear, isn't it? I have stumbled through a dark hotel room before and cut my head on a wall. In my own home where I know where the furniture is, I've walked through my living room and broken a toe from hitting The furniture. Okay, and have any of you ever had to drive at night without working headlights? It's terrifying, absolutely terrifying. We feel safer when the lights are on. We are safer when the lights are on. We're safer when we can see our surroundings. So we're going to talk about light and darkness tonight. We're going to talk about material light, and we're going to talk about spiritual light. Light is an energy source given off by something that makes it possible to see. Light's what makes it possible for us to see. It makes things visible. It shows us reality. Light lets us see the dust bunnies under the bed when our brain says there's monsters under the bed. Light lets us see what's really there. Light penetrates, permeates, and casts out the darkness. Okay? Light is something that God uses as a symbol All through the Bible. So much, I can't even tell you how many times he uses it. We're going to talk about a few. But God uses light as a symbol for his presence, his purity, his holiness. He associates himself with light. Look at what he says in 1 John 1.5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So I'm going to give you just a quick little summary through your Bible here. Genesis 1. The very first thing God does is create light. He brings order into chaos by creating light. He created it. It came from him. He is the energy source behind it. He's the source of light. Then he showed his presence in light as the children of Israel wandered through the wilderness those 40 years, what was with them every step of the way, that bright pillar of cloud that was bright and visible in the daytime sky, and it looked more like a pillar of fire at night leading them, guiding them them they called it the holy light okay that was God's presence in that light and when Jesus was born when heaven came to earth how did the natural world announce it a little twinkling light up in the sky and we know that Jesus came in a human body and for a while he veiled his deity he didn't let that show but when he took his disciples up to the mount for the transfiguration and he allowed his deity to show what did he look like Light, light. You can read about that in Matthew 17. He was brighter than anything like the sun. His clothes looked like they were brighter than bleach could ever bleach them. Jesus looked like light. And God tells us in Revelation 21 that in the end when Satan is finally bound and cast out, the lights will go out everywhere, including the sun and the moon, and we won't care and we won't be in the darkness because God's presence will be our light. Okay, God uses light as a symbol for himself all through the Bible. He also talks about darkness. Um, darkness, by definition, is connected to light. The definition of darkness is the absence of light. Okay, so darkness causes things to be hidden, unseen, distorted. There's no vision or there's distorted vision in darkness. It is the total opposite of light, both materially and spiritually. It's the opposite of light. When God uses darkness in the Bible, it symbolizes life apart from God, apart from light. Darkness also symbolizes sin, error, falsehood. God associates darkness with Satan. God says the world is in spiritual darkness, and God oftentimes uses darkness to symbolize judgment and distance from God. <clears throat> I'm going to give you two biblical examples. When the children of Israel were being held by Egypt, and Egypt, their hearts were hard and they wouldn't let them go, God sent those plagues. The plagues were judgment. And one of those plagues was a plague of total darkness over the entire land of Egypt for three days, except for one little area, the camp of the Israelites. They were in a blessed position with God. They weren't under God's judgment, and they had light. Everybody else was in the darkness. And even more dramatically, when Holy Jesus hung on the cross from noon to three o'clock as he took on the sin of the world... And he suffered the consequence and the judgment and the wrath of sin. What happened in the whole world? It went dark. Three hours of darkness symbolizing God's judgment for sin. So these are uh, God's symbols that he uses very consistently. And it's important for us to understand how God uses those symbols and what he means with them if we're going to really understand how Jesus uses these words. Jesus will describe himself as the light of the world. And that's a term that's only used three times in the Bible, and the only one who uses it is Jesus. So we're going to see all three of those tonight, and I think it's really great. He's Jesus. He does everything right. When he uses this term the very first time, it is the most appropriate time in the world for him to call himself the light of the world. The first time we see it's in the book of John, and in the book of John, we know that Jesus has been publicly teaching and doing miracles, and he gets to Jerusalem, and everyone is talking about Jesus. Everyone there is talking about him, and the big question is this. Who is he? Who is he? And the people are divided on this. Many people think, oh, he must be a prophet from God. Some people hope... Maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's the one we've been waiting for. Those religious leaders, they think, no, he's, he's either a charlatan or he's possessed by a demon. Maybe he's working with Satan. The people all want to know who he is. So the Jews are all gathered in Jerusalem, and it's a celebration time. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles, or your Bible might call that the Feast of Booths. It's the same celebration. This would happen at the end of the year during their harvest time. So they're definitely celebrating God's care and provision for them as they bring in all the fruit of their labor and the harvest. But ultimately, the Feast of Tabernacles was commemorating God's care for the children of Israel when they wandered in the wilderness. That was when they began celebrating this feast. Um, They're celebrating that God was protecting them and guiding them and with them in that majestic, holy light. That's what they celebrate during this feast. Some have said the Feast of the Tabernacles was the most joyous of all the Jewish celebrations. And here's how part of it would work. On the very first night and every subsequent night of the feast except for the Sabbath, they would all gather in the temple area. And in a a specific place called the Court of the Women, they would have these beautiful gold candelabras. And as the darkness descended on the night, they would light all those candelabra and they would stand under that sparkling light and they would sing and they would dance and they would praise God and they would light torches and they would celebrate the holy light who was with them in the wilderness and was with them now. That's what they're doing at the Feast of the Tabernacles. That's where Jesus is at that time in the temple when he chooses to stand up and say these words from John 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Perfect timing, isn't it? Part of Jesus' meaning would be crystal clear to this Jewish audience because the Old Testament was completely steeped in this metaphor. God is Light. A Jewish audience would totally understand that. Jesus is boldly answering that question, who is he? And he's saying, I am God. I'm God. He's claiming to be one with God. He's claiming he was there in the beginning creating light. He's claiming he was there in that holy light guiding them. In the following verses, he will just very boldly say, I came from God. I was with God. I speak for God. I'm going back to God I'm one with God. That's the only reason he can make the claim to be the light of the world. He is not claiming to be an enlightened rabbi or somebody else with special enlightenment. He is claiming to be the source of light. He's claiming to be the very luminary. He is the flame, uh, the energy source that makes vision possible. He's also claiming to be the Messiah here. Isaiah 60 would have been a very familiar passage to all of these Jewish people. Isaiah describes the Messiah regularly as your everlasting light. They would be so familiar with Isaiah's prophecy. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Messiah meant light, God meant light. Just a shocking revelation, number one, when Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I'm God and I'm Messiah. The second shocking revelation is it's not just a light for Israel. It's a light for the whole world, and that term, world, there means humanity, all humankind, the entire human race. So this regional Jewish sect was never intended to stay small and regional. From the beginning of time, God's plan was this was going to be global. It was a global opportunity to live in a relationship with God. Jesus is doing the global launch right here in the temple. That's the shocking revelation number two. And he launches it all with the greatest promise ever made. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the promise of salvation that Jesus offers all of us. We have to remember when he says you won't walk in darkness, darkness means apart from God, the absence of light. We know that spiritual darkness is brought on by personal sin. Our personal sin puts us in the darkness, it ends in judgment which ends in death, which ends in eternal separation from God. And that's the condition of every single person in the world separated from God. And so Jesus is standing there making a promise, I'm going to take you out of that dark condition, and I'm going to move you into the light of life. I'm going to give you a whole new way of life. And I love that he's tied so much of this to their history of the wandering in the wilderness because he says, This promise is available to whoever follows me. And they are celebrating following a cloud through the wilderness. They could easily understand. What it was to follow Jesus is the same thing like following a cloud through the desert. They didn't wander away from the cloud. They didn't choose an alternate route from the cloud. They didn't get way over this way and just keep the cloud in the corner of our eye over here. If you studied Numbers with us last year, you'll remember from Numbers 9, it emphatically states, they moved only when the cloud moved for 40 years Whenever the clouds settled down and remained in one place, they didn't move, sometimes for days and weeks at a time. Their every step was dictated by that cloud. So when Jesus says, follow me, I think he means, trust me that much. Believe in me that much. Follow me that much. No wandering way off over here, keeping me in the corner of your eye. Follow me like they followed the cloud. And you are out of darkness. And not just that, but you have the light of life, which means you have Jesus. You have him. He is yours. John 1.12 says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we're going to talk about Jesus as the light of the world tonight and this amazing promise he makes here. And we're going to talk about two distinct ways we see Jesus acting as light. Um, Two ways uh, the qualities of light are displayed here. Now there's more than two. It's certainly not limited but we're not going to stay here all night. So we're just going to talk about two. I could. I could go on and on. But we'll, we'll just do two tonight. Light illuminates and light guides. We're going to look at how Jesus does that. Both um, when he walked on the earth and how he does it for us today. As the light of the world, Jesus is illuminating reality. The things that were there all along, but they weren't seen. They weren't seen. When Jesus comes, now they are clearly seen. You know, I took a bit of a dream vacation a couple weeks ago. I had been planning this with my husband to go to Italy for several years, and we finally got to go. One of the things I was looking forward to was just seeing some amazing art, and the very first cathedral we went to, I was um, eager, but I was disappointed at first when we got there because I was eagerly looking for one specific piece of art, and my guidebooks told me it was going to be there. But I looked, and I looked, and I didn't see it anywhere, and I was a little discouraged until all of a sudden, this dark corner and a dark wall over here that I hadn't even noticed, suddenly floodlights were on it, and there was the art. It had been there all along, and I just couldn't see it. So I hurried over there, and here's what I figured out. Some of you probably already know this. They have these little machines, and you drop a Euro coin into the machine, and the floodlights turn on, and everybody in the room can see the art, not just the person who dropped in a dollar. And that's how the churches fund maintaining that art, and so I'm A-OK with that process. But... That's how illumination works. Hey, it wasn't a magic trick. That art didn't materialize in that moment. It had been there all along. But the lights turning on illuminated reality. I could see what was there. I could see it clearly. That's exactly how illumination works um, spiritually. It's not a magic trick creating something from nothing. It's exposing what is true and real. Because Jesus is the light of the world. When he comes into the world, he illuminates reality and makes everything visible, spiritual things that we have not been able to see without his light. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Um, We're going to start. This first one is in John 4. You can flip to it or you can just let me paraphrase. Um, Jesus is traveling through Samaria, and he stops at a well late in the afternoon. He asks a Samaritan woman there to draw some water for him. Jesus knows this woman is spiritually seeking. She's spiritually hungry. He engages her in a conversation. He encourages her to go get her husband. And she answers him, I have no husband. And then listen to what Jesus says. This is John 4, verse 17. He says, you were right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The lights have turned on, haven't they? Everything is illuminated. Everything about her life is visible now. His very presence exposes her reality. So the fact that she's with a man who is not her husband, that's outside the declared, the stated boundaries of God. And we call that sin. And it's just like everything else outside of God's boundaries, just like envy and jealousy and hatred and lying. It's sin and it separates us from God. And ultimately, it keeps us in the dark. But when the light of the world draws someone into a conversation, your sin, your separation from God will be illuminated. He didn't create it. It's been there all along, but now it is visible, and you can recognize it. We've got another example. I hope you had some time to look at this tonight. It's in John chapter 8. This is a a beautiful example. Um, Jesus, this happens right before he makes the bold claim, I am the light of the world. A woman who'd been caught in adultery is brought to Jesus. Adultery is sexual sin. This was outside God's boundaries. It was also a violation of the Jewish laws, and the penalty for that was death by stoning. This really was kind of a political trick. Um, The leaders were putting Jesus in a tough position. They're asking him, what should we do with her? And they know that Jesus has been teaching about forgiveness and mercy and grace, and so they want to they catch him, and they want to see, will he condemn this woman to death? And so listen to how this plays out. I'm going to begin reading in John 8, about halfway through verse 6. They've come to Jesus and said, what do you say? What should we do? And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, what do you say? He stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before her. Okay, they had brought this woman to Jesus because they could clearly see her sin. So here's how I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine a very dramatic theatrical stage. And it's pitch black, but there's one tight spotlight shining on this pitiful, broken woman. That's what this looks like here. We see her sin. But when Jesus says, whoever is without sin can throw the first stone, he's flipped all the lights on. And the whole stage is lit up. And everybody is visible, and everybody is sinful, and nobody is in any condition to condemn anyone else. That's what Jesus is illuminating in this instance. He is totally flipping the lights on and showing the true condition. And that's what it is. Just like with us, when we come face to face with perfect Jesus, He shines His light on our life, and we see our true selves separate from God. But the reason I love this story of Jesus illuminating the world is he is not illuminating sin to shame this woman, to condemn her, to hurt her, to harm her. He is illuminating her sin to save her. The same way you get an x-ray to show what's wrong in your body so you can go to the doctor. We have to have our sin illuminated so we can go to the Savior. It's not to harm you or shame you. And look what he says to her next. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, No one, Lord. And Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. Jesus doesn't condemn her. He invites her into new life. He invites her to have the light of life. He invites her to leave darkness. That's why he's illuminating. Her, her sin. So the same light that reveals sin, it also reveals God's mercy and his grace and his willingness to save us from ourselves. That's how illumination works. It makes me think of John three sixteen and 17. God so loved the world he gave us his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes is not condemned. This illumination, it is a supernatural process. We can't fully understand it, and we can't fully understand why some people experience illumination and others don't. But here's how it works. Um, The light of life shines on you, and you see God like you've never seen him before. He's merciful and gracious and holy. You see yourself like you really are, sinful and separated from God. You see Jesus on the cross as your only answer. And being able to see in that way, you choose Jesus, and you move from darkness into light. That's how spiritual illumination works. It's a supernatural act of God. But the illumination doesn't stop for us. Once God has illuminated our life, we continue to see things, but we see things differently now. We see a spiritual reality that we had never seen before. We see the mountains and the oceans as displays of God's creative power. We see sunsets and sunrises as evidence of his steadfast faithfulness. We see food on our table and a roof over our head as proof of his love and provision and care for us. And we see the choices that we make every single day as offerings willingly given to God or rebellious independence acted against him. All those things have been true all along, but with spiritual illumination, With the light of life shining in you, you can finally see it. Only through Jesus' light can we see those spiritual realities. Without it, we are in darkness. The folks in our world who don't know Jesus don't see the world the way we do. They aren't able to. That's how spiritual illumination works. We're also going to talk about how Jesus' light serves as a guide It illuminates, and then it guides. You know, another vacation story, uh, a lot of time on airplanes, and I'm just going to confess to you, I don't always listen to the safety instructions at the beginning of the flight. You know, all that? I think I know all of that, but it occurred to me, we're going to be over a big ocean for a really long time. And so I listened. I heard something I hadn't paid attention to before. Should the airplane lose all power emergency lights will guide you to the safest exit. My translation, the plane is not safe. Follow the lights. Follow the lights. I haven't figured out if all the power is out how those lights are going to work, but they have figured it out. So lights will guide you to safety. Lights will guide you to safety. That's what the light of the world does. He guides us to safety with God. He's pointing people to God. He's never pointing to himself. He's pointing people to the way to live with God. And ladies, we need a light to guide us. The world needs a light to guide us because we don't know what's best We live in a dark world. That's what Jesus has said. God tells us the world is in darkness. Our eyes get accustomed to the darkness, and we do not know how to recognize the light. Proverbs 14, 12, many of you know this. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. If we don't have someone guiding us, we're going to go the wrong way. I see this as mankind is all driving along in the dark, approaching a canyon about to plunge to their death. And Jesus is shining a big light on the side of the road, saying, detour. That's not the way. Go this way. Follow me. I'll show you the way. You know, Jesus was speaking um, pretty literally with his disciples one time when he said, I'm going to the Father I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Thomas so earnestly says, "Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way?" And Jesus answers John 14:5, "I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." He came to guide us to the Father. He came to guide us to life with God. The only way is God's way. The only path is Jesus. Every other path is going off that cliff. Every other one. Accepting Jesus' work on the cross on your behalf, it's the only way. Jesus came not to shame you, not to condemn you, but to help you find that path. He's waving his arms. He's shining a bright light on it for you. The second time Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world is John 9, 5, and he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, and we get a little foreshadowing there that Jesus isn't always going to be physically in the world, so what happens when he's gone? Does his light go out? I want to remind you of the promise that he made in chapter 8 when he said, those who follow me will have the light of life. You will have Jesus. You will have his light. He's saying, You'll have me. I will abide with you. I will be yours. I will be with you. I will dwell with you. I will help you. I will put my spirit in you. I will never leave you. His light won't go out because he has put his light in us. And that's a really important promise. Because there's only one other time Jesus uses this light of the world expression, but he flips it around this time. Read with me Matthew 5, beginning in verse 14. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Okay, I hope this like startled you because it startled me, and I've heard this my whole life. You are the light of the world, I am the light of the world. I mean, Jesus is describing us the same way he describes himself. Now, if you're in an ESV Bible, you don't have this, but all the other translations, when Jesus says, I am the light, he uses a capital L. And when he says, you are the light, he uses a little L. And I think that's as it should be. One theologian says, this is the greatest compliment ever paid to a Christian. Jesus is saying, you are like me. And that is a great compliment, but I see it more like a command. Jesus is saying, be like me be my light in the darkness. The world was different when Jesus walked around in it. The world should be different when Jesus followers walk around in it. The same way a village on a hillside just shimmers and shines dramatically in the night sky because there's life there, there's candles, there's fires, there's torches, it's a dramatic visual reality. We should shine just as dramatically in the darkness that is our world. I read that a home in Jesus' day wouldn't have windows in it. It was lots of reasons they didn't put windows in their home. Mostly they would have one big, not that big, a round opening over the main doorway. That's all the natural light they had. So they used lamps a great deal. And we know because we've dug them up over in Israel, lamps are these vessels that hold oil with a wick. The wicks were apparently very difficult to light, so when you left your home, you know, they couldn't flip the light out the way we do, rather than put, dampen out that wick and have to struggle with relighting it again, they would take an earthen vessel, kind of like a basket, and they would sit it on top of the lit lamp so that nothing could catch fire while they were gone. That was such a common everyday experience. They are as familiar with putting the basket over the lamp as we are with flipping a light switch on and off. And Jesus says, you are not that kind of light. There is no basket on you. There is nothing covering you. That's a great reminder for them and, and a great picture for us to remember we're not that kind of light. Your light should be visible all the time in the world, wherever you are. That's a command from Jesus, because Christ is in you, it's possible. Uh, The prophet Ezekiel described this years before, Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." And in Galatians, Paul says, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. So what we see here is that our light should be visible in the world. People should be able to see it and recognize it. Specifically, he says here, it's visible in your good works. Your good works should be visible and they'll show. Now, we know Jesus never, ever, ever endorses just a moralistic lifestyle. He doesn't endorse just live by these rules and be really good at following these rules. He never wants that for us. What Jesus is always um, wanting for us is the beautiful, attractive attitudes of Jesus in our hearts that flow out in beautiful, good works. And it's an overflow from a transformed heart. So he's talking about good works that are demonstrations of new life in you. These are the evidence and the proof to the world that God can transform a sinful human being who lived in darkness into a child of light who lives with God. That's what good works are to flow from. Flip, um, excuse me. Ephesians five eight says, "At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true." So we are told and commanded here, good works should be coming out of you and visible. You know, some good works are big. We're familiar with these. These are water wells in the desert and people being rescued out of sex trafficking, worldwide missions, um, uh, tragic events where great relief efforts go. Those are big, big, big good works. Some good works are small. He just says all good works here. He doesn't say just the big ones. So good works might mean forgiving that family member who offends you every single holiday. Good works might be extending grace and kindness to that cantankerous, difficult neighbor that nobody else likes. Good works might be offering to help your coworker who's drowning even though you're drowning too. And this is so simple, but I'm really convicted about it. I think good works is smiling and learning the name of the waiter or the barista or the checker at the grocery store or the clerk at the DPS. Show them dignity and honor and kindness, and that is good works. Wherever you are, right where you are, God has commanded you be Jesus' light bearers. That's who we are there 's another way that our light is visible in the world, and this seems kind of counterintuitive, but our light is also shining and visible when we don 't do some things. Abstaining from certain things is actually a way of shining a light in the world. Look at Philippians two fourteen and I used to punish my children with this verse i 'll just tell you i don 't recommend that it 's not good parenting to punish your children with scriptures, but listen to this. Do all things without, okay? For our last verse was, you know, shine light with good works. Now it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So our, our light is going to shine when we don't do some things. I'm not going to tell those kind of jokes, I'm not going to use that kind of language. I'm not going to take that good gift of God and pervert it and do something ungodly with it. I'm not going to repeat that story that makes my friend look bad or foolish or wrong. The absence of ungodly things in our lives will attract attention. It will cause our lives to shine and sparkle. Now, I think a word of warning should go out here. Sometimes the attention that ungodly, the lack of ungodly things in your life sometimes will bring you uh, difficult attention. Sometimes it will bring you negative attention, and that's because darkness hates the light. Darkness doesn't mind when you're out there doing good things, but darkness is really bothered when you're not dark with it. And that's because light permeates and changes the darkness light exposes the darkness so if you're going to live without some of these dark things in your life you are going to attract people to God but you are probably going to get some negative attention because darkness will always be annoyed and hostile towards light you don't need to take that personally because it's not your light that's really one of my big takeaways from this. When light shines through my good works, I have no reason for pride because it's not me, it's Jesus. And when darkness hates me, I don't take it personally because they don't really hate me, they hate Jesus. That's God's word, that's true. So the good work should be done not to draw attention to ourselves but to draw attention and guide others to God. Light should guide people to God the same way Jesus did, showing him the way. Our good works do the same thing. Dallas Willard said this great thing. I loved it. Success in the Christian life is being the kind of person in whom God shines so brightly that people wonder what's going on. (laughs) When your life shines and sparkles with Jesus, you stand out in the darkness And those who are spiritually curious, spiritually open, they see it and they think, what is up with her? What's up? Why is she calm when everyone else is anxious? Why isn't she afraid? Why is she at peace when everyone else is worried and angry? Why is she forgiving when everyone else is bitter? What's up with her? We want them to wonder what's up. We want them to ask, and we want to be ready to give them an answer that guides them to God. The world needs guiding lights. Now, this next part is just my opinion. You can chuck it if you don't agree with me. I think you can shine an angry light that burns and scorches people, or you can shine a warm light that attracts and embraces people. One of my sons attended a university where every single Friday in this big public square a gentleman would come and he would stand on a box and with his portable microphone he would scream at the students. And I was there four different Fridays and he was there every time and I'm going to tell you what he would scream. You young man over there, you're a liar, you're going to hell. You over there, you know you're a drunkard, God's wrath is on you. If there was a poor couple holding hands, he'd point to them and say, "You know, you're fornicators, and the wrath of God is against you." I know God can use anything. I was only there four times, but I never saw anybody say, "I want to know your God." <laughs> Proverbs fifteen two says, "The tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive." So for me. I want to shine in a way that illuminates and attracts people to the mercy and grace and forgiveness and love of my Savior. I want to shine in a way that makes them want to move from darkness into light. So while we are Jesus' light bearers, we still need Jesus to shine in us. We need to live as light and we need to continue to live in his light. We still live in a dark world. We still live with a sin nature. I'm sorry to remind you of that. We all continue to struggle with sin because, ladies, this isn't heaven, and we aren't holy. I'm not, and you're not either. So we still need Jesus illuminating. This is how it works for me when I find myself several days into a sin struggle, a thought, an attitude, just an ungenerous process in my brain that's going, and I've had a couple of days saying, God, I'm so sorry. I don't want to do that anymore, and I keep doing it. I know I need to sit down with God, and I need to ask him to shine his light in my heart, in my soul, in my brain. And I need to see what's there. And I sit with God until the light is shining and I see reality. And this is a painful process because reality usually looks like envy, jealousy, selfishness. When God shines the light, we see things we don't want to see. But ladies, you have to be willing to see Because God doesn't want you tangled up in the darkness. What Jesus did on the cross was to set you free from slavery to those things. But because we still have this sin nature, we tangle ourselves up in those. And Jesus says, let me shine the light on it so you can name it, so you can understand it, and so you can take the steps to walk away from it. God doesn't want us living that way. He tells us in 1 John 1.5, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and we don't practice the truth so god will continue to shine that light in your life you need to be willing to see we also still need guidance for how to live each day don't we we need help knowing what's wise and good and beautiful and truthful i need help remembering what god's what jesus mercy and his service looks like i need regular daily hourly reminders guiding me on the path that pleases God. And I don't have Jesus in a body standing beside me, guiding me, but I have this. He says he's the word. I have his word. I have all of his words right here. The psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He's still shining his guiding light. This is where he shines it. You must be willing to open it up and read it And obey it it's work it's disciplined effort but if you are willing to do that the light of Christ still shines in your life God tells us to shine right where we are so I want to encourage you you don't have to be thinking well next summer when I go on that mission trip I'll shine his light or Tuesday night when I volunteer at the homeless shelter I'll shine his light there he says you shine right where you are every single day no basket over you My best friend of 24 years does this really, really well, and I want you to know she does it well because she has determined and purposed to do it well. You are the light of the world is her life verse, and she has tattooed those words on the inside of her wrist so she'll see them all the time. And I want to tell you what that looks like in her life. She's a PE teacher in an elementary school. And in her gym, she just does a good job, and she shows her students love and respect and dignity every single day. And every now and then, she goes out to the apartment complex where most of them live, and she knocks on their doors, and she introduces herself to their mamas. And she tells the mamas nice things about their kids. And she says, you should come up to the school. You should come to my gym. And then she says to the mamas, my church has a program for children on Wednesday night. I would love it if you would let your student come. And you could come too. And here's what happens those who are spiritually seeking, they recognize light in her, in that honor and respect and dignity that she shows them, and they are attracted to her God. Every now and then, on a Sunday afternoon, my friend will send me a, a text, and it's just a picture. And it's always an 8- or a 9-year-old child getting baptized at her church. And I know it's one of her students. And one time, the picture was the student and his mama, and they were both being baptized. Because somebody was willing to shine the light right where they were every single day. That's how she does it. That's where her world is. You have to figure out your way. You have to figure out where are you every day because that's where you're supposed to be shining the light. And if you do, people will move from the darkness into the light. So ladies, receive the light and shine the light. Let's pray. God, we love you. We love you and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that without your light, we couldn't know you. We couldn't receive you. We couldn't walk with you. And I don't know why we get the privilege of doing that when others are not able to see, Lord, but we thank you for it. So I pray for your help. Help us to do good works. Help us to shine and sparkle in the world so that people will say, what's up with her? And we'll have an opportunity to answer and guide people to you. We can't do that without you, Lord, but we want to. So help us determine to shine your light every day. In Jesus' name, amen.